Chapter 23 It was the longest day, mindlessly hot, unspeakably hot, too hot to move or even think. The countryside, the village of Tree Gap, the wood, all lay defeated. Nothing stirred. The sun was a ponderous circle without edges, a roar without sound, a blazing glare so thorough and remorseless that even in the foster's parlor, with curtains drawn, it seemed an actual presence. You could not shut it out. Winnie's mother and grandmother sat plaintive all afternoon in the parlor, fanning themselves and sipping lemonade, their hair unsettled and their knees loose. It was totally unlike them, this lapse from gentility, and it made them much more interesting. But Winnie didn't stay with them. Instead, she took her own brimming glass to her room and sat in her little rocker by the window. Once she had hidden Jessie's bottle in a bureau drawer, there was nothing to do but wait. In the hall outside her room, the grandfather's clock ticked deliberately, unimpressed with anyone's impatience, and Winnie found herself rocking to its rhythm. Forward, back, forward, back, tick-tock, tick-tock. She tried to read, but it was so quiet that she could not concentrate, and so she was glad when at last it was time for supper. It was something to do, though none of them could manage more than a nibble. But later, when Winnie went out again to the fence, she saw that the sky was changing. It was not so much clouding up as thickening. Somehow, from every direction at once, the blank blue gone, and gone to haze. And then, as the sun sank reluctantly behind the treetops, the haze hardened to a brilliant brownish-yellow. In the wood, the leaves turned underside up, giving the trees a silvery cast. The air was noticeably heavier. It pressed on Winnie's chest and made her breathing difficult. She turned and went back into the cottage. "'It's going to rain, I think,' she told the prostrate group to the parlor, and the news was received with little moans of gratitude. Everyone went to bed early, closing windows firmly on their way, for outside, though it was almost dark, shreds of the hard brown-yellow light lingered on the rims of things, and there was a wind beginning, small gusts that rattled the fence gate and set the trees to rustling. The smell of rain hung sweet in the air. "'What a week this has been!' said Winnie's grandmother. "'Well, thank the Lord it's almost over!' And Winnie thought to herself, "'Yes, it's almost over.' There were three hours to wait before midnight, and nothing whatever to do. Winnie wandered restlessly about her room, sat in her rocker, lay on her bed, counted the ticks of the hall clock. Beneath her excitement she was thick with guilt— for the second time in three short days, though they seemed many more than that, she was about to do something which she knew would be forbidden. She didn't have to ask. Winnie had her own strong sense of rightness. She knew that she could always say afterward, Well, you never told me not to. But how silly that would be. Of course it would never occur to them to include such a thing on their list of don'ts. She could hear them saying it, and almost smiled. Now remember, Winifred, don't bite your fingernails, don't interrupt when someone else is speaking, and don't go down to the jailhouse at midnight to change places with prisoners. Still, it wasn't really funny. What would happen in the morning when the constable found her in the cell and had to bring her home for the second time? What would they say? Would they ever trust her again? Winnie squirmed, sitting in the rocker, and swallowed uncomfortably. Well, she would have to make them understand, somehow, without explaining. The hall clock chimed eleven. Outside, the wind had stopped. Everything, it seemed, was waiting. 
Winnie lay down and closed her eyes. Thinking of Tuck and May, of Miles and Jessie, her heart softened. They needed her to take care of them, for in the funny sort of way that had struck her at the first, they were helpless or too trusting. Well, something like that. Anyway, they needed her. She would not disappoint them. May would go free. No one would have to find out. Winnie would not have to find out that May could not. But Winnie blocked the picture from her mind, the horror that would prove the secret. Instead, she turned her thoughts to Jessie. When she was 17, would she? If it was true, would she? And if she did, would she be sorry afterwards? Tuck had said, it's something you don't find out how you feel until afterwards. But no, it wasn't true. She knew that now, here in her own bedroom. They were probably crazy after all, but she loved them anyway. They needed her, and thinking this, Winnie fell asleep. She woke with a jerk sometime later and sat up, alarmed. The clock was ticking steadily. The darkness was complete. Outside, the night seemed poised on tiptoe, waiting, waiting, holding its breath for the storm. Winnie stole out to the hall and frowned at the clock face in the shadows, and at last she could make it out, for the black Roman numerals were just barely visible against their white ground. The brass hands glowed faintly. As she peered at them, the long hands snapped forward one more notch with a loud click. She had not missed her moment. It was five minutes to midnight.